0: Please be seated and let us pray. Lord God, I pray that you would take the words of my mouth, that you would take the meditations of all of our hearts. Lord, when our thoughts wander, as surely they will, would they wander always and everywhere deeper into your grace? That we might leave this place today, knowing that we have met with the wonder of your living word. That your living word has touched our broken lives and that we leave here, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Come, Holy God, and speak to us, we pray. Amen. 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 It's good to be uh, with you this morning. It's, a, it's an enormous privilege to be with you and to share with you in this place. I am the minister of uh, three churches, one of which is a church called Saltley Methodist Church. Uh, we're about a mile east of the center of Birmingham, and, uh, and, and it's a church which is simply nothing like this. Uh, you could fit uh, the entirety of my congregation, could go kind of here, yeah? Like in, 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 in this little bit, uh, it's, it's good to see that there are some patterns of behavior, however, which, uh, which transcend all congregations. I'm delighted that you weren't all here on time, okay? Uh, that, that's given me a huge, uh, a huge sense of calm, relief deep within. But there are things about us which are very different. I, I have to say, when you, um, when you lift the collection bowl, whoa. You need to go to the gym to lift the collection plate in this church. It's uh, it's kind of hard work, yeah, but it's, uh, it's good to be with you. As I drove into London uh, this morning, you, you drive in, and and, and there's something about this incredible city, uh, which it is very difficult not to be seduced by. You, you drive up and you see... Parliament and then you see the shard in the distance and the geek and, and, and there's something wonderful about this city and there's something wonderful about this church and there's something wonderful about what God is doing in each of your lives. And and in many ways I come here today from my little place which is a little way away. And what I want to do more than anything is is I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that God is doing a good thing in your lives. God is doing a good thing in this place. And God will continue to do more, more than you can ever imagine if you continue to lay your lives before him. And simply to say, Lord Lord God, would you do with us what you will? That The church of God blossoms in all kinds of different places, with all kinds of different people, not because of who we are, thinking it begins with who we are, that's how you close a church, okay? The church of God blossoms when the people of God say, Lord God, it is not about us, it is about you. Would you come and have your will with us? And so, so it's an enormous privilege to be here. It's a privilege to be here on Home Mission Sunday. I, as a little child, I grew up in a in a, uh, a church in Liverpool, Lineker Mission, and it was um, it wasn't quite this big, but it was quite big. It was quite a vast auditorium and a, and a relatively um, kind of medium-sized congregation. We would gather, and I remember I remember home mission Sunday uh, really well. Uh, my, my dad was a minister, and so and so I remember every home mission Sunday we would invite somebody from another church to come and preach, and there were people in our church who lived for Home Mission Sunday, because that was the day when someone would come, and they would speak a word, and they would remind them, and they would reignite something within people that gave them a sense of Purpose, a reminder that God is with us in this really, really difficult place. And so there were folks in the congregation, and every year they would would live for that one Sunday. It it meant an enormous amount to people. I remember sitting in the congregation as a child, and these people would come and they would preach and and they would tell stories. Often they came from the most incredible churches. Yeah, like huge churches with massive congregations and they would tell story after story of all these, these dozens and dozens of lives that are being changed as people are entering into God's kingdom. And, and I used to sit there as a little kid and I, I was like, well, that's kind of great. Like that, that's inspiring and that's motivating and that's deeply moving. But, but I, I, I'm in a place where Well, like that, that's not happening in in my world. That's not happening in my life. And so so what what people did was we would connect with the person, we would connect with the story. And and then and then you would feel great after the service, and then you would go home. And you would go to school and you would go to work and you would meet the brokenness of the world all around you. And the fire was hard to keep alive. Because the fire had become about the person and the story. Yeah. And the fire of scripture is not about the person, it's about God. It's about a God who does the most incredible things through the most ordinary people because God is good, because God is on our side, because God is capable of building a whole new kingdom, a whole new creation from nothing. From ordinariness. and so, so when you journey through Acts, as I know you have as a church, Luke, Luke has taken Theophilus to this place and this place, and he wants him to see, and he wants him to understand, he wants him to see what God did in the lives of these people, and these people, and these people. He wants Theophilus to see this God, this God is building this incredible kingdom, this whole new way of being in the world. Which is about forgiveness and healing and restoration and reconciliation. It's about the fact that we can do something new. We can Ordinary, broken, messy people can be the people of God. And so Luke is telling Theophilus' this story again. And, and he takes him from this place to this place to this place. And then you get to Acts chapter 16. And, and, and Luke take, takes Theophilus to, to Philippi. And in Philippi you meet this incredible city. This amazingly diverse place full of all of these different communities. Hustle and bustle and life. Yeah. Philippi is like a kind of first century kind of central line. Yeah. It's kind of like being in that place where all these different things are happening all around. And lots of people wanted to be in Philippi. And so Luke tells us this story. And in Acts chapter 16, Verse 16, Luke does something quite bizarre. Luke is writing to Theophilus to help Theophilus to understand what God is like. What God is like revealed in the person of Jesus and the life of the church. And in in Acts chapter 16, verse 16, Luke then tells us this story, which is that when Paul and Silas were in Philippi, they meet, they meet this woman. Like, we, we don't even know her name. Maybe nobody knew her name. Maybe she had been so stripped. Maybe so much of, of life had been taken from her that she didn't even have a name. What we know about this girl is that she is a slave. And that the people all around her, people all around her, considered her to be possessed by a demon. And so she has this ability within her to speak of things of the future. And so she meets Paul and Silas, and she speaks of them. And Luke includes this story when he's telling a story about God and Christ Jesus and the church. He tells us that that when when Paul and Silas arrive in Philippi, they're going around the business. They're doing what they do as God's people. They're going to, to probably the temple. They're going to the synagogue to give devotion yeah, Luke tells us that they're going to this place to give their devotion to God. And, and, and in the midst of that, they're going to do the right thing. They meet this, they meet this woman. Yeah. And like that's really important. The really important thing is that they see her. Like, like we, we read it and as, as 21st century Christians and we're like, whoa, she's possessed and she has a demon and she's a slave and she can do these things. Like, like to, to people in first century Palestine, that's not impo- that's not remarkable. Loads of people had slaves. Loads of people, new people who, who who claimed to be possessed in all kinds of ways. That that's not incredible. That's very ordinary. What's incredible in Acts chapter 16 is that when Paul and Silas are going about giving their devotion to God, they see this woman. And they do not see her as a problem, they see her as part of what God is calling them to in that place. How many of us in our lives, in our discipleship, in our being church, encounter a world around us all the time where people are hurting, and people are broken, and people's lives are falling apart, and people are possessed by all kinds of other things. That's not remarkable. The the minute you leave this place, you will meet people who are captive to other gods. When you go home and to work, when you get on a tube or a bus and you leave this place, you will meet people who, meet, who live broken, messy, difficult lives. The challenge of Acts chapter 16 is how do you meet with them? Like, like, like I know loads of people for whom the reality is it's just a problem. Yeah. And, and I know loads of Christian people, good, seemingly good people, people who go to church every week. And when we try and have conversations about how do you share Jesus? How do you journey with people? Oh, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. That like we, we, we've, got, we've got religious things to do. We've got church things to do. We've got devotional things to do. We've got worship to do. And in Acts chapter 16, Luke reminds us that Paul and Silas see this woman They see somebody that people have long since stopped seeing. My guess is that in a church this size, there are probably people here today who are like, yeah, that's me. That's me. I live, I breathe, but nobody sees me. I'm in this place, but I may as well be anywhere. I feel as though I am invisible. And Paul and Silas, they see her. And they see what she cannot see. They see that before and after everything else, she is a child of God. What an amazing discipline for the church. That in every single person you see, No matter how much the world tells you that they are a problem, that they are an obstacle to your success, in every single person you encounter, we will first see a child of God. Whatever they throw at us, we will simply be people who are so disciplined in our relationship with God, who are so devoted to God, who are so yearning for God's heart, That every person we see, we just see children of God. And so Paul and Silas see in her what she cannot see in herself. Helping successful people to become more successful is very, very boring. And is not the mission of a church. Being with people who know that they are worthless who know that the world does not even see them anymore, who know that they may as well not even have a name, for no one will ever remember it, and learning to see them as children of God, learning to see in them what they cannot see in themselves, that is what it means to be the church. So there's this guy in our church, Wilfred Hodgson, he's an old guy he comes faithfully to church every week and, and Wilfred has this horrible accident in his flat, and he trips on a little bit of a bit of uh, a bit of the, the kind of brokenness in the carpet how uh, it 's thread and he trips in the middle of the night, and the people in the flat underneath him they, they hear this bang, and they 're a little concerned. Uh, so that they go and, and they, they knock on his door, and uh, Wilfred, are you okay? And they don't hear anything. And now Michael and Laura live below Wilfred. Michael's um, Michael's a heroin addict; uh, he injects twice a day. And uh, and they live they live beneath Wilfred. And Michael's like Laura, some, something's not right here, okay? So they they break down uh, Wilfred's door and they find Wilfred, and Wilfred has passed into glory. And they they sit with him, and they call the ambulance and the undertaker's come, and they take Wilfred away, and the next day, I get there, and and, and I go, and I, I knock on Wilfred's door, it's one of those kind of bizarre things that ministers do, like, you know that they're not there, because the whole reason you're there is because they're not there, but for some reason, you're there anyway, and and, and so I knock on the door, and, and Michael, from the flat beneath, he opens his door, and, and he says, are you, are you looking for Wilfred? I said, yeah, he says, so, well, Wilfred's there, and I said, you know, what's weird is I I kind of know, and and Mike, Michael's got this buggy, and, and he he goes out, and he walks out into the into the car park outside the flats and, and it's like it's pouring with rain, yeah. And, and, and he's, he's soaked and, and I'm soaked and we stand there and, and Michael says, you yeah, know, he, he was a great man and I, and I say, you know, you know, Michael, I, I used to visit Wilfred every week and, and when I visited Wilfred, we, we would spend time together and we would pray. And I, and I want you to know something today which is that Wilfred prayed for you and for your wife and for your son every single day of his life. He prayed for you. He prayed that you would be free. Michael stands there and there are tears streaming down his face. And he says, Andy, I'm desperate to be free. You see this old man who came to the back of church faithfully every week when he met people the people who were really close to him, he had the ability to see them as children of God. That's the task of what it means to be the church. And so the world doesn't like that. The world finds that difficult. It's much better if you can just put labels on people. And so they take Paul and Silas and they throw them... Into prison. Before they throw them into prison, they profoundly beat them. The Roman authorities would often beat people as a way of dealing with a the problem. They would beat them to within an inch of their lives, often with the hope that they would simply die in prison. It simply gets rid of what has become a very difficult problem. Imagine being imagine being the kind of church that was a problem to the state. <laughs> what a wonderful thing that would be. And, and so, and so, so Paul and Silas are in prison and they are beaten to within an inch of their lives, and they are shackled by their ankles and their arms. And we read the story, and we're like, and then there's an earthquake, and then the Lord comes, and then they're free, yeah! And that's great, yeah. But don't miss the bit before that bit. Don't miss the bit that says that when they were in that place, at midnight, in their darkest hour, what did they do? They sang. They sang God's praises. When they had nothing, when they were broken, when the future seemed completely uncertain, when nothing around them gave them any reason to be optimistic about the way all of this might turn out, when all they could feel was the pain of their own brokenness, what did they do? They rejoiced and sang God's praises. Because they were so filled with the heart of God. They were so in love with God. They were so close to God that the world could not tell them who they would be, who they would be, even when they were bound, was children of God. My guess is that there are folks here today and you're like, I, I, I can't talk about mission because I, I, I am broken. You you, you want me to go and and proclaim Jesus to these people? You want me to go and make disciples? I still hate the fact that he walked out on me. I still carry the pain of that broken relationship. I still struggle to see that person because of the things they said and did to me. And the Lord says, "Well, well, would you allow me to meet with you that we might we might begin the work of healing. That you might once again find your voice. That you might, might stop being defined by what other people have done to you and begin to be defined by what God in Christ Jesus has done for you. That you might be free, even when you feel like you are in prison and a slave. Because, because even in that place, you will know that God is with you. In 1831... There was a group of miners in County Durham who went on strike. They went on strike for two reasons. They went on strike because they wanted to, a- to end the ability to send a child to work in a pit at six years old. They wanted to move the age from six to 10, and they wanted to decrease the, the length of a working day from 14 hours to 12, so they, so they went on strike. And, and, and the police came and they arrested them and they filled Durham jail. And then they went to the bishop and said, can we have your stables because we need more room? So they filled the stables. And if you go back and you read the ancient manu- the old manuscripts, what does it say? It says that there were jailers who refused to work because they were haunted by the sound of people singing God's praises. People who, who were so in love with God, so close to God, that this could not define. I mean, so right at the end of the story, Luke offers us this image which is that that once he has been freed, the jailer the jailer cleans his wounds and he baptizes the jailer and his family. Right at the end of the story, what Luke gives us is the picture of a whole new church, a whole new way of being in the world, where you will, you will begin the possibility of journeying with people who have previously caused you pain. Because the pain that they have caused you does not determine you. What determines you is what God has done for you and in you and through you. And so Luke offers us this incredible picture right at the end of a story when the jailer washes Paul's wounds and he baptizes them and he proclaims the possibilities of a whole new way of being. Are you tired? Are you broken? Are you weary? Have you spent ages chasing for the success of like the next great preacher, the next great sermon, the next great book? And what your heart is really yearning for is I just need to be close to God again. I just need to know what it is again, that I am saved. That when I feel completely worthless, I am actually worth dying for. That when I feel like I'm invisible and I don't matter, that I am actually going to be part of God's story. What is your heart yearning for today? Are you here and we're, we're inviting you, we're encouraging you, go, go and make disciples. And what you're actually thinking is, I, I, I can't do that because, because I have this stuff. And what you need here is to be healed. What you need here is to know that you've forgiven. What you need here today is to know that there is a love that is so deeply at work in your life that you, us, we here now, can begin to be the people that God made us to be. That what matters, that what wakes you every moment of every day, is that you and me and we are children of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we're gathered here in this place today. because by the mystery of your grace you have broken into our lives and you are longing for us to be your people. Lord God, for some of us here today we know what it means to be enslaved because for too long we have been bound by all kinds of pain and hurt. For too long we have believed the lies of others who tell us we are worthless and nothing. For too long we have been broken. Lord God, in the wonder of this place, would you come and touch us Would you come and heal us? Would you come and restore us? Would you come and set us free to be your people? Lord God, for all of us, would you so reunite us with you? Would you so draw us back to your heart? that when we leave this place and the world throws its worst at us, we will keep rejoicing because we are not defined by the world. We are defined by the wonder of your love. Holy and loving God, whoever we are, wherever we are here today, whatever we bring, Would you touch us? Would you set us free? Really free. Free to soar on wings like eagles. Free to fly. Free to live, to really live. Free to be the people that you long for us to be. Because your love is all we need. Amen.